Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Today's show is made possible by Florence Marine X. And it's not enough to say that John John Florence founded the brand. It's worth noting, but the work is ongoing. The brand is equipment, and it is still being tested, put through the paces daily. Uh, I know if you've been tracking his journey on Instagram, you know that he's been sailing and surfing the South Pacific. So it's not apparel that he's wearing. From the ripstop shorts to the ultraviolet-protected hooded long sleeves, the equipment provides utilitarian solutions for all conditions. Everything is North Shore tested, where John is headed right now for the winter, the Pipe Masters, and then to prep for the 2023 CT season. So you can follow it all. You could learn more. You can get North Shore tested equipment and even sign up to be a test pilot at FlorenceMarineX.com. Much more about them in future shows. But until then, enjoy. And Veyer Watches are back with us. Veyer is spelled V-A-E-R, so VeyerWatches.com. Code SURF15 will save you 15% on any purchase. And I first met the owners of the company, Ryan and Reagan, three years ago. They are surfers. And I wore one of their field watches through Europe at that time. Um, I think it was the end of 2019, but... I had a nylon NATO strap that I wore every day and then just dressed it up at night with a leather strap. I love that watch. I still wear it in the water. I've worn it ever since in the water. That was until just recently, by the way, when I got a solar-powered watch. So Veyer makes quartz watches that run on battery. They make mechanical watches that are self-winding. They never need a battery. But now they also make solar-powered watches. There's a solar cell hidden underneath the dial, and just six hours of sunlight will keep the watch going for six 
months in the darkness, if you can believe that. And then even weak light sources, like just the light that's in your office, will keep the watch going for months. So this is super cool, especially if you surf. This is kind of the ultimate functional tool. And it's guaranteed waterproof, of course. 20 ATM tested with a locking crown, which should cover you in any real-world depth exposure. These solar watches also maintain a slim case profile, so they fit either over your wetsuit or under the sleeve. Check everything out at veyerwatches.com. They have free USA shipping, easy returns, there's a two-year warranty, and of course, you'll save 15% with our code, SURF15. No spaces, lowercase surf, and then the numbers one five. So SURF15 at V-A-E-R, veyerwatches.com. Lots to check out on their website, but the solar watch is what I am wearing now. So check it out, veyerwatches.com, surf15, and enjoy. You know, life is a struggle for everybody, and I'm in a situation that's unique and different. And just the ability to feel, I'm going to tell you right now, is probably the most important thing in life, like feeling. Yeah. I mean, imagine if like somebody touched your leg right now or your arm or your stomach or whatever, and you couldn't even feel it, man. You would be devastated. Jesse Billauer. He's a world champion surfer, an ESPY award nominee. He is the founder and CEO of Life Rolls On, an organization that provides equipment and expert support crew to allow people with various disabilities to surf, blowing away the physical boundaries that limit their experience on land. Jesse's passion for getting people in the water is the result and the expression of an incident that nearly prevented him from ever surfing again. He'll detail that incident in today's show, but in short, it was a surf accident in which he broke his neck, severed his spinal cord, and doctors told him that he would never surf again. Since then, he's won three adaptive surfing world titles, six national championships, and his story has been featured on Dateline NBC, Good Morning America. He was profiled in Dana Brown's surf documentary, Step Into Liquid. And in addition to his initiative to get people back into the water, Life Rolls On is expanding into skateboarding and now fishing as well. All things that Jesse loved prior to his accident and things that doctors would have certainly advised against prior to Jesse finding these ways to make them feasible for everyone. So, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and without further ado, here is Jesse Billauer. Let's start with, I think we owe a shout out to Bob Hurley. Bob's the guy who uh, connected you and I. How, do you remember your first encounter with Bob or how you met him? I mean, I think I was 12 years old when I met Bob Hurley. It was through Paul Gomez. Paul Gomez was like the team manager at the time for Billabong. And um, I was an upcoming kid, you know, in the Malibu area. And 
got sponsored and then he introduced me to Bob and it was pretty amazing, you know, to be sponsored by those guys at 12 years old. Where'd you grow up? How did you discover surfing? Yeah, I grew up in Pacific Palisades and one of my good friends, Brendan, his dad taught us how to surf in Santa Monica. And it was just a cool experience. I don't know. We were like nine years old. And at first I was boogie boarding and I was like, oh, I'll never surf anywhere. There's rocks and I'll never surf. I'll just boogie board. And then his friend like put us on longboard and kind of just kind of fell in love with it. And I'm a Pisces, so I'm a fish. And I just, I don't know. I just, my brother started surfing around the same time in a way and but my parents were never into surfing but we lived so close to the beach that I was always at the beach and I loved the water and I was a junior lifeguard and okay and so it was just inevitable about to get out there but my my friend's dad taught us well um what did your parents do for work my dad's a chiropractor for the U.S. national soccer team and the LA galaxy and kind of like LAFC now and stuff but uh and my mom's a real estate agent. Okay. Um, I know you're on the pro amateur kind of pro surfer track. How did they feel about you pursuing that for a living? Yeah. I mean, my parents were super behind me on anything I did. I loved baseball. I loved soccer. And surfing was just something that I loved even more. And I would do it before school and after school. And that's what I wanted to do, be a professional surfer and travel around the world. And I did get an opportunity to travel around the world, you know, from 12 to basically like 17 years old. I was going to Indonesia, Tahiti, Hawaii, Costa Rica, Mexico. And it was just a great experience when you were young to be able to travel. And sometimes it was with my parents and sometimes it was with like the U.S. surf team. And sometimes it was just with friends. And it was just great to be able to get out there. But surfing, yeah, it was my passion. You know, I, I love surfing contests in a way, but I almost love free surfing more. And I liked challenging myself and trying to surf in bigger waves. And the surf contest was more for the sponsors. And it's not like it is today where you're getting paid to be a free surfer. Back then, it was just straight contests or nothing. And then my What's idol, that? Shane Dorian. My idol, oh, is that Shane right? Dorian. So everyone used to call me Little Dorian. And, and what's funny is, I think Chris Malloy gave me that nickname, Little Dorian, because I had the same surf style as Shane Dorian. And then, luck, I mean, crazy is like I named my first kid after him. So I have twin boys, and I, the first one I named Dorian Blue for, Nick, for Shane Dorian. That's amazing. It's funny. I'd never heard that that was your nickname, but I was watching uh, some of your old footage just in preparation for this conversation. And I could totally see the Dorian connection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bob Hurley just—he's like he's talking about like this pizza hand and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty exactly. Funny. Yeah, man. I mean, and then now Shane's a cool—you know—friend of mine. But yeah, I named my first kid after him. That's amazing. Um, so obviously, that pro amateur track path kind of came to an abrupt halt. Um. I know. Can you tell me about the incident, the day it happened and kind of the circumstances leading up to it? It was like a month after my 17th birthday. And I used to work for Surfline. So I drive down to the beach every morning and they call the payphone and I tell them how the waves were. And that's kind of what my job was before school. Um, and I knew the waves were going to be good. 
And I think a couple of days before it, I fell and I hit my head on the bottom and kind of got this kink in my neck. And I was like, whoa, that was pretty gnarly. And kind of laid on my surfboard for a minute. And I was like, whoa, like that was pretty scary. And then uh, kind of just paddled back out and kept surfing. And then I think three to five days later, I was surfing up at Zuma Beach uh, before school. And I told my friends to meet me, but I got there first and the waves were pumping. And I got out there and surfing for a little while. And then some of my friends started showing up and just like any other wave at Zuma Beach, like it's kind of like you got a doggy door, a lot of those things. And they're kind of a close out. But when you're a kid, pulling into barrels and closeouts and just making little doggy doors. I mean, you're pretty stoked. So yeah, I pulled into a barrel backside. And when I came out, I kind of like was trying to straighten out and the wave hit me in my back. And normally when I fall at Zuma, kind of like just kind of dolphin dive and go under and pop up the other side. But I guess I jumped a little weird or something and, in my head on the shallow sandbar and my whole body just went limp and numb and tingly. And I was just floating there, you know, I was like, Whoa, this is a weird, weird feeling that I never had. It felt like that pitchfork just numbingness around my whole body. And, you know, the wave turned me over and I called for help. And at that time, all my friends thought I was joking around, you know, no one's going to think that you're going to get hurt, especially someone, you know, like myself who, surfs there all the time but waves were tumbling me around and finally my best friend came over and told him you got to keep my head above water or else I'm going to drown the waves were hitting us boards were hitting us and then one of my other friends pulled me up on the beach and I just couldn't move nothing you know I couldn't move and they called 911 because I don't even think the lifeguards were on duty yet but maybe they're at the headquarters in the middle of Zuma Beach so they ended up coming over there in the lifeguard truck and asking me if I could move and I was like no I, no I can't but they, they they cut my wetsuit off and I was pretty bummed about that because I was like oh this is a new wetsuit <laughs> I didn't know like because I didn't really know what was going on but they ended up putting me in a back neck brace and a backboard and took me into the parking lot where there was a helicopter waiting and then next day I remember I woke up in the hospital with his tubes coming out of my throat and out of my arms and yeah didn't realize it but a few days later the doctor told me i broke the sixth vertebrae in my neck and i was paralyzed and they had to put a four screws and a titanium plate they had to take bone from my hip and put it in my neck can you i mean thankfully your friends had showed up by that point because if you had been in the water by yourself you would have been helpless right Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been over. But it's insane. I would have never known because I would have died. <laughs> right. No, that's super scary. Um how long did it take for the awareness to kind of settle in of its permanence? Uh kind of still does. Really? Yeah, it's like it always haunts you. Yeah. Um, are you still friends with the guys who were at the beach with you that day? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we don't hang out as much as I would like, you know, life, life happens and you, you know, you do your own things, but 
yeah, we can get together and it'll be like, we're still best friends. And so, okay. But obviously if uh, I was walking, we'd be hanging out a lot more. It'd be a lot different. Yeah. I'm just thinking that had to be a traumatic experience for them as well. Um, and for yeah. your parents to get that phone call, that's the worst call for the parents Ooh. to get for sure. I know I'm a parent. Now I understand. How old are your kids, by the way? I got twin boys that are five. One's um, Dorian Blue and the other one's Nakoa Rain. Who's Nakoa named after? Oh, right here. It says Blue Rain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Name of my boat for Dorian Blue and Nakoa Rain. So I named it after their middle names. That's amazing. Have you talked to your parents about what their experience was when they got that phone call? Yes, maybe not like super in depth, but enough to know like that at first my dad thought it'd be better if I wasn't alive because he thought I couldn't surf, I couldn't play baseball, I couldn't play soccer, that I wouldn't be happy. But uh, yeah, and then he changed his mind when I had a positive attitude and stuff. But I can only Um, imagine and like if my kid just falls and cries just because he fell it's traumatizing, let alone if he ever got like serious hurt. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Or their life just is um, set on a different path than they anticipated Ooh. it to be, you know? Um, yeah. My dad's super supportive and here and helps me all the time. And I'm just like, I just was like, wow, man, this is, a, that's intense. Yeah. Well, I, you know, my awareness of you, like I said, is through the magazines originally, and I've never met you in person, but from what I've seen, it seems like you are um, super optimistic and super positive. And we can get into why that is or why that might be. But I'm curious more like at that time, right after the accident, before you started Life Rolls On, um, did you feel optimistic about the outcome initially or was there periods of depression what did you experience before you kind of found a positive way to uh, proceed I mean I was 17 years old so it was devastating just to see you know all your friends walking around having a good time surfing going to parties whatever going to school and just not really thinking about walking or feeling or being independent and so at first I didn't really want to go back to school. Like um, it's pretty tough to see myself as the only one in a wheelchair, but my principal called me in and just had a long talk with me and made me feel comfortable that he would do everything he could to make me feel comfortable at school and accepted, you know? So I went back and graduated with everybody, but I mean, when I was in the hospital, it was tough. Like, you think about your future, you think about, will I ever have kids, will I ever get married, will I ever be able to do anything, like, I'm paralyzed, like, you know, break my neck, and I can't really move my arms, can't move my hands, can't walk, can't feel, and you just don't really know what the future has in store, so it was scary, and I had to take it day by day, and just realize, think about the things that I could do, and not really think about everything I couldn't do because then I'd just be super depressed. But yeah, um, I had friends that were supportive and that helped out, you know, whether it was somebody coming over to take me to the movies or take me to the beach or just hang out, like a phone call. It was just like those little things were huge. 
Yeah, that's important, I think, for people to hear and remember. Because sometimes if somebody's going through something difficult in my life, let's say a close friend, part of my default is to respect their privacy. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe they don't want to hear from me. And so it's hard. I think it's good to hear that actually people do uh, little things matter like that. Well, look, man, everybody, everybody has problems. Everyone has struggles. Just for me, you can see them. I'm paralyzed. You can see I'm in a wheelchair. So you know, like that it's tough. You know, you're like, I can't open the door. I can't do this. So you're going to, you're going to try to be there for me. But there's people that struggle every day on side and, and, th- and they need someone to call them to someone to say, it's going to be okay for someone to be able to talk to, to just ask how they're doing. But it's like, you can't see like what's going on inside of an able-bodied person. You think everything's cool, but it's not. Yeah. When was the first time that you kind of conceived of going back into the ocean? Uh, I think it was a few years after my accident. I just was like, nobody was really doing this. So I couldn't really have anything to look to. You know, I wasn't able to look on the internet and be like, yo, like, oh, those people are surfing after being paralyzed. This is like their equipment. So I kind of had to figure that on my own. And I talked to Rob Machado and then he talked to Al Merrick and they made me a surfboard and we had no idea what we were going to do about it, you know, but they ended up putting me on the board. I lay down on my stomach, propped myself up with my elbows and they pushed me into some waves and just to feel that independence and that freedom and that, uh, that the water on my face and the wind, it was just such a beautiful feeling to be out there with nature and just, you know, I love the, I love the noises of the ocean. I love sometimes the quietness. I love the, the peacefulness of it. And I just was gliding on the wave and I felt like that energy under my stomach, just from, uh, just riding the wave and the speed and just being out of my wheelchair and being in a different position than sitting up and kind of just changed my life. And that's when I realized that I wanted to start a foundation after that, because everyone's like, just telling me like, Hey, life goes on, life goes on. And I looked down one day and I was like, Oh, you know what? Life rolls on. I was like, oh, whoa, that's a cool name. And I talked to my brother and he helped me get it trademarked. He knew some people and we trademarked the name. And that's how it really started. Just because my dad was like, oh, everyone has a foundation after they get injured. So we figured that out. And then then I kind of got into motivational speaking. And I don't know. It's just, uh, like I said, nobody was really doing this. So I didn't know what to do. And um, what did that's how what it type of what type of board did Merrick build for you? Was that was it different than a regular surfboard in any way? Not really. I think it was just a longboard. And then um, they put these toe-in foot straps by the rail so I could well wedge my elbows. Okay. And that was something that we just kind of just threw up as an idea and something that actually is really good. Where, uh, where was that first session back? Uh, Cardiff Reef right there, just in front of Rob's house. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. At yeah. the time I was going to San Diego state. So it was just, I w- it was close. What were you planning on doing professionally at that point? At that point I was going to school to be a psychologist. Um, it's something that I just never expected to do. I never thought I was ever going to go to college, but after I got hurt, I was like, Oh, I'll go. And then I was like, Oh, I could talk to people. I love talking to people and psychology was something that I was really interested in. And then I was like, Oh, you know what? After a few years, I realized I didn't want to be in an office. I wanted to be out in the world. 
that's when I changed to doing motivational speaking so I could travel and talk to people. When did you realize the power of sharing your story? I think my dad noticed it. And then he said that, hey, you should share that with other people. And that's kind of how it started. And I started doing some speaking at San Diego State in their disability okay. and society class. It's kind of like kind of where it started in a way. Just sharing my story, you know, and if I can help somebody realize like maybe how grateful they are and how lucky they are just to be able to feel their body or be able to use the restroom or being able to walk. I mean, nobody really thinks about I'm going to move my right leg. I'm going to move my left leg. Or when they go to the beach, I don't, they don't think about how good it is for the sand between their toes or the water or someone touching them or whatever it is like, or just being able to use the restroom really quick. Like those are just things like that are just never like in the front of your mind. They're just something that happens, but all the money in the world just couldn't give that to me. So it's like, I'd rather be able to walk. I'd rather be able to feel than be able to walk. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I've had kids come up to me and talk about how they were thinking about committing suicide until they heard me talk. And, and these are like young kids, you know, like that. You're like, how is there so many problems that, that you want to think about that? And you're only in high school or something. So it's pretty overwhelming to be able to share my story and people to, sh to open up like that, to yeah. feel safe, to be able to tell me those things. Um, I, I, I would love for them to feel safe to talk about that to other people. So they don't have to hold that in. Um, you know, like people have a lot of different struggles and they share it with me and, uh, I feel, feel lucky that they open up to me, you know, and I always, after my speeches, I have time for people to come up for one-on-one -on -one -on -one if they want. How, yeah, do you, how, how do you handle that? I mean, how do you handle if a teenager comes up to you and talk, starts talking about vulnerability surrounding suicide? I just let them know that everybody has thoughts that are good and bad and that there's a lot of lights at the end of the tunnel, a lot of struggles you're going to go through and there's a lot of challenges and there's people that are going to try to bring you down and you just got to hang out with positive people and not hang around negative people and also just follow your dreams, not your parents' dreams, or your teacher's dreams or anyone else's dreams. Cause you got to do the things that are going to make you happy. Don't really put that much pressure on you to, you know, until you're happy, you can't make other people happy. So just got to focus on yourself first. Yeah. And anyone that's trying to put you down is uh, struggling with their own stuff. So, you know, just don't listen to them. I mean, and, and then beyond that, the next move is to kind of have sympathy for that person too. The reason that they're acting out is because they're hurting as well. And so. Yeah. Hey, sometimes, sometimes a hug will help out a lot, you know, just a hug and, and then to be like, Hey, if you never need anything, like, you know, here's my information, like call, call me anytime. Um, you know, it's like you said earlier, you don't know if you're overstepping any boundaries, but as long as people know like that you're there, sometimes that's enough, you know, maybe not prying, but just knowing, Hey, like I'm here if you need me, but also checking in sometimes because those people sometimes too feel like they might be a burden. Yeah. But if you check in on them as a text message or a phone call, it feels good, man. Trust me, like an invitation to something from somebody that means the world.
like um, when I was in Hawaii in, in, in February, um, Ballaram like was like, hey, I'll take you surfing. And I was like, all right, I heard that before, like by many people on the North Shore. They have like, they got to go surfing, take photos, do their thing. But I think like three days in a row, him and his boys took me to, to, um, to Valdiland. And I just was like, hey, bro, that means so much to me. Just for you to invite me and to actually do it and not like, oh, I got to go. Okay, the hour's up. Like, we got to go. They were like legit yeah. helping me for a few hours. And he wanted to try my board out. He wanted to lay down and feel it. Really? Oh, it was so great. Me and him like looked similar. So he could be like a body double for me if we ever do it in a movie. Um, but he wanted to lay down and ride it to feel what it was like so that he understood maybe a little bit of what I was doing. So maybe you'd understand like what I could and couldn't do. And I thought it was super rad. I so he got waves. Me. He got waves oh, on it at VLAN. Oh yeah. Amazing. And my pusher pushed him into the wave so that he had to act like he was me. Okay. Don't move your legs. Don't paddle. Don't do anything. Keep your legs straight. Put your elbows in that little straps and let's see what you can do. Did he, did he rip? He did good. I mean, he did good. And I, but I saw, I saw that there is um, restrictions. Like just because he's able-bodied and he's pushing in the middle of the board, he couldn't do much more than I could do. Yeah. It it was just because when you're pushing from the middle of the board, your turns are really drawn out. It's not like a quick tail slide or anything, you know? Right. Of course. Um, He has a new film that's coming out. I don't know. Have you seen that? It's called Hail Mary. No. His filmmaker, I'm supposed to have him on the podcast and um, his filmmakers like putting the final touches on it. So they haven't sent me the screener quite yet. But uh, I've heard it's amazing. Like a ballroom yeah, profile film. Yeah. If you talk to him, ask him about Valzyland and surfing with me, because like, I, I'm just telling you, like, there's people that tell me they're going to help me and I get my hopes up and then they're like, oh, I can't go. Or, or they don't even answer their text message back or call. And so that's why it's just like, I live by that. If I go to the North shore or I go and travel, I need help. And so him pulling up like that. Oh man. Stand up, dude. Realwatersports.com episode three of under the glass just dropped. Brett Barley picks a surfboard from reels inventory. He rides it, he reviews it. And then trip Foreman offers all the design and construction details for Brett And uh, for episode three, Brett picks an AJW Classic Twin for the mediocre East Coast summertime surf. So I know that we're kind of going into the winter in the Northern Hemisphere, but everyone needs a Classic Twin Fin in their quiver. And this episode really details the virtues of that board design and its limitations. So check it out on YouTube, Surfline, or go to realwatersports.com where you can actually buy that exact board or... 1499 others their inventory is vast and whatever you need they've got it and they'll ship it to you for one low flat fee no matter where you are in the world it's an incredible resource realwatersports.com enjoy 
Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So you founded Life Rolls On and what was the kind of mission and objective for the organization? Um, Yeah, at first Life Rolls On was about trying to raise money from my medical bills and stuff. And, and then I realized like after a while, I wanted to help other people get back in the ocean. So we teamed up with some other friends that were doing this thing called they will surf again. And um, we teamed up. The first event was on uh, September 11, 2001, when the twin towers are going down at Topanga oh beach. I thought it was going to be canceled, but we ended up going to the beach. And as the twin towers were going down, you got Laird Hamilton, Gabby Reese, Kelly Slater, Rob Machado, Dan Malloy, Timmy Curran, 
uh, Ross Williams, I think Taj Burrow, all them showed up. They took me surfing and I'm trying to think if there was even other people with disabilities, like there had to have been, but I just don't remember. I know they took me. Okay. And that was one of my first times, like kind of doing it for real, like with all those people. And it's a special moment for the surfing industry to come together as a whole, like it's a tight knit group. And I was shocked that on the craziest day of the universe of probably United States history of what we were alive with, like they all showed up. Yeah. Said a lot. That's wild. I had no idea that that was the first, the date of the first event. First event, man, September 11, 2001. It was crazy. So as this is kind of coming together and becoming kind of more public, um, were there, was adaptive surfing happening elsewhere around the world or was this truly kind of the first movement of it? I think it was the first movement of it. I don't think anyone was doing this before us. Okay. And uh, throughout the years, we kind of helped other countries build programs like it. Okay. But I think life rolls on and they will surf again. And the adaptive surfing was kind of born with us. And then we've been doing it for 20 years. And and then now there's a lot of, you know, other groups, which is great because I can't do it all. Like I want more, more of the better around the country so that more people with disabilities can get out there surfing. But um, yeah, I mean, people like are like, oh, whatever, man, you're the goat, you know, like you, you, you're the godfather of adaptive surfing. And, you know, it's a cool feeling to be able to be the guy that's kind of started it and helped people out. And, and I'm still doing it, still competing and people are, you know, they're after me to, to take away my championships. <laughs> Who's the current champ? I mean, I'm a three-time adaptive surfing world champion. And um, there's there's uh, different politics and stuff in, in that industry and what's going on. But for me, I look at it like there should be more than one event, more than two events, more than three events to be a world champion. Not yeah. just one contest and you're a world champion. So... I I have a lot of say in it with regards to like advice and like, uh, yeah, you want to, I think you should win a medal instead of being a world champion off one event. So there's just, you know, whatever, but there's some good guys out there right now. And there's so many different divisions, different yeah. disabilities. And there's like, to me, to me, these guys are so inspiring. Okay. Like, the, the backstories of what they went through and their disabilities and how they're out there surfing. And um, it's a struggle. It's a challenge. Like it's, and it's dangerous, right? But they're doing it and doing it well. And, and I, and I, I'm, I'm really sad that all the top guys aren't sponsored. Like they should be making money. They should be in ads. They should be in commercials because dude, this is what inspires people out there. Like I love, <laughs> sorry, I love all the top pro surfers, you know, but after a while you see the same thing over and over and it's like throw in a couple people with disabilities charging or doing something inspiring. And I guarantee you, you're probably going to sell more product because people are going to be like, oh, you back that? That's amazing. Yeah, completely. Um, so all those companies it? out there should start looking into this, man. With Life Rolls On was the main initiative or is the main initiative at this point to get people in the water? 
Yeah. I mean, life rolls on. They will surf again. The whole thing is to get people with various disabilities surfing. But to me, the surfing is the excuse to bring everybody together, to build a community, to build relationships, to get people um, confidence, to get their boost their, you know, morale, to uh, have families come out there and meet other families going through the same problems and caregivers and parents to have the day off so that the volunteers and everything help their family members to surf and maybe smile, maybe see a smile that you never saw before. Maybe a new, maybe a new look on life. Um, I mean, it changes people like just one way it changes their life. Like they look forward to this one day, 364 days a year. And it's just like so powerful. And it's like, really like for 30 minutes can change their whole life and their whole perspective on everything. What do you think is the, um, what, what is the reason for change? Like is salt water itself healing? Is it riding a wave that's healing? What's your perspective on what the actual thing is that changes people? Yeah. I think at our events, the things are this, the volunteers, their energy, and the way that they treat these athletes is second to none. They make them feel red carpet. They make them feel special. They make them feel like it's your day. You're number one. This is all about you. Everybody, like you got 40 people or something helping out one surfer. So we have like nine different teams in the water, like 40 different people for one guy. And they're on different colors. So like, whether it's the blue team, the red team, the orange team, you have an association with these teams and you build like this camaraderie and you build these friendships, but those 30 or 40 people are like rooting them on, like yelling their name, splashing. They have the wind on their face. The waves are getting like, dude, they feel like a celebrity. And I think like it makes them feel like they're not disabled at all for that moment. And you, something you just can't pay for. Yeah. And then obviously the waves and the water and the wind and the speed and the, the energy and the excitement just not replicated with anything else. Yeah. I see what I you're saying. And even falling, wiping out, like you're like, Oh my God. Like it was so cool to be thrown around and to be able to pop up. And the, I was underwater and splashing my face. Like that's still fun too. Yeah. Um, I see what you're saying with the camaraderie, but I would like to think that surfing is unique and that even if you had that camaraderie to put together, like, um, I don't know what, like a marathon or something yeah, like that. Of course, of course. It's different. I, I feel at like it is, day, you know, it's at the end of the day, the real superhero is the wave. That's the thing that's bringing in all the energy. I mean, their excitement, like the dude, you know, I mean, any surfer knows that the butterflies they get when the wave's approaching, it's approaching, it's approaching. And then you're like, okay, we're going on this one. And you're like, ah, and you get all pumped up. And like, and then it's like, they feel the lift and then they feel the push and then they feel the energy. And it's just like so many feelings that they never felt because they're paralyzed or they have a disability and they don't feel. And now they're feeling new sensations. And it's just like, that's really what it's about. Feeling new sensations. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, what's the longest that you've been out of the water in the last 20 years? <laughs> uh, I mean, probably right after my injury, which was like three years. Um, and then 
a year here and there from a couple broken bones from trying to surf like 10 to 15 foot sunset of the North shore. And I broke my femur twice. No way. Oh yeah. I mean, I was trying I was charging the North shore, like 10 to 15 foot faces, like Kala and all those guys were so scared. And I had a big smile on my face, but yeah, I was like, I fell a couple of times and one, you know, and broke my femur and I didn't even know I broke it until I took my wetsuit off and my leg was kind of floppy. Oh my gosh. So I need you to break down for me. What are the risks for you <laughs> surfing in that environment? Obviously drowning is a big risk. What oh, mobility yeah. do you have and what are your limitations? Let's just say like surfing sunset. It's pretty gnarly for an able-bodied person. Okay. Like 10 to 15 foot faces at sunsets pretty gnarly there's a lot of water moving and it's dangerous so i was trying to be as precise as i possibly could and you know got away with a lot of it but you know eventually the wave won but i wear a life jacket but still even with a life jacket you could get pushed down and it takes a while to get popped up it's not like instant pop-up like it is like with the flotation devices you know one little life jacket's not gonna save you too much but um you know for a person like myself i don't feel my whole body so it's really dangerous i don't wear a leash or anything or i'd break my leg every time but yeah every time i wipe out it's it's, it's a possibility that the board hits you when the wave tumbles you around you, your legs are going one way you're going another way and it's just powerful and if you come up from a wipeout and there's another wave coming at you do you have the ability to like deeply dive under or how do you get absolutely through that absolutely not okay <laughs> yeah there is no diving when when i have my life jacket on stuff i'm floating and if i see white water coming all i try to do is position my body so that i'm the long way and just try to go on a roller coaster roll Oh man, that's and just brutal. let it go and just don't ever fight it at all. I will never be able to swim or win against whitewater. So all I do is just try to take a breath and relax as much as I possibly can and just go, yep, you're going to get beat up and push wherever it wants you. Um, do you have a rescue team in place? Are, are they on P PWCs or how does uh, that work? No, I mean like, Let's just say those those days at sunset are rare. Okay. okay. Like big waves are rare. Like to be honest with you, I retired from that because I already broke two femurs at sunset and I'm I don't I'll never surf sunset again. Um, but I could get hurt on any kind of wave. It doesn't really matter, right? But I kind of choose the spots, the conditions. And yeah, I have a guy on the inside more like watching out for me. Or there might be a guy riding behind me, but to be honest with you, they're not going to be able to, no one's going to get me until it's a little safe, you know? Yeah. It's all like, they're not going to come in the middle of the whitewater when I'm getting beat down and grab me and just say, Hey, you're all good. They're going to have to wait for me to pop up. I mean, I was thinking even after that, if you're getting washed over, like washed towards the reef or something, you would oh, want yeah. somebody to step in. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. No, we've had a couple bad experiences, man. Like getting rolled over the dry reef at sunset on the inside and, it's not fair to the helpers. It's not fair to people because they'll be traumatized. Like when I get hurt, 
or, or, or going over a reef, they're traumatized. I've had guys that like probably won't even help me out again. Cause like they're too scared. They don't want to be a part of it. And that's understandable. And I toned it down. I toned it down. Like to me, it's all about speed now instead of like height. I would think hollow waves would be kind of the ultimate draw. And that's probably as <laughs> treacherous as sunset is. Right. Um, yeah, bro. Let me just tell you this. Okay. I've surfed the Kelly Slater surf ranch five or six times. And that's a perfect wave. Absolutely perfect wave. Not really any water out of place. Great place to practice. Great place to get barreled. And it's like, okay. I thought for sure. All you got to do kind of slow down, set up for that barrel, kind of hold the rail a little bit. No, my board is like <laughs> seven, six or something. Even when I'm laying down, just doesn't fit properly in a small barrel like that. Not only that, but I can't really lean super hard on my rail. So what happens is my outside rail gets suction cupped and I just go over the falls and I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever got more beat up than at this Kelly Slater surf ranch at that barrel. Like we're talking just annihilation. Yeah. And I don't try to get barreled ever anymore. Oh, really? Barreling is just the least of my happiness. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That, speed that is, spot speed is, is everything. And at surf ranch too, it gets so shallow right behind where it barrels. And so if you do, get kind of sucked up in the face of that, you're liable to hit the bottom. Ooh. I know it happened uh, a couple of days ago. Really? I got video of like, the guy was filming me into the barrel and then he was under the water, saw the turbulence, you know, underneath. Yeah. And, and I thought I was okay. And then I go, Oh, Oh. And then I started getting sucked over the falls. And in the video, you could see how it just goes whoop, and just whipped me past the point. I just, 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 I honestly thought I wasn't coming up. Insane. I was like, whoa. And then I'm coming up and then I got pushed back down. Maybe because that, that little tiny wave behind it pushed me back. And yeah. then the, the, the lifeguard jumped off the jet ski and, and pulled me up. But I was like, dude, that was heavy. And I got footage of it. It's just, I got drilled. That's sketchy. How, how are you catching waves? I get pushed into the waves from my friends. And then yeah. it's all me. Yeah, it's cool. I mean. To me, I'm just about gliding and bottom turns and a little off the lid. Just it's it's like those smooth turns just make me happy. Um, what modifications are built into the surfboards now? Are they? So Bob Hurley's been making me a few boards, and um, they're more for like competition and stuff, like super maneuverable. The fins are moved up a lot uh, on the bottom because I'm moving the board from the center of the board, not the tail. Uh, I still use those foot straps for my elbows. I put on uh surf fins on the back with uh like foam on the back so that when the water white water hits my legs my feet don't fall off um oh okay and uh i usually try like a twin fin because it's more maneuverable and uh yeah it's sick i mean my board's this carbon graphite board right now super light and fast and responsive like if i want to turn it it turns i love it that's awesome um I'm curious, what do you attribute your resilience to and your positivity? Were you, prior to the accident, were you always positive? I mean, I felt like it. You know, I was a kid, like 16 years old, 17 years old. I mean, you don't really know much back then. You think you know everything. But, you know, when I look back, yeah, I was positive, happy, got to do everything I loved. So 
never really had like a negative side of me. Um, but at the same time, I got hurt doing something I love. You know, if I got hurt in a car accident or someone did this to me, maybe I'd be really upset. Maybe I'd be depressed. Maybe I'd be, you know, a different world. But I did it myself doing something I love. So it's not really something that I complain about. But yeah, I mean, when I go back and change everything and never have started life rolls on and be able to walk and never, you know, got hurt. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. I would change it all. I'd give back everything. I'm wondering if resiliency is um, like something you can learn. You know, I, I had a great influence growing up. My grandma was someone who just was like so positive and she survived the Holocaust and she um, was in concentration camp and me and her were very similar in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, I just probably learned a lot of determination, resilience from her, just learning some of the stories that she went through. But um, yeah, for me, it's just uh, trying to focus on things that I could do and look forward to things like whether it's good waves or good weather or um, going to a movie or a date or whatever it is, like just something to look forward to. And for me like that, it keeps me going. Like instead of like really thinking too far in advance or will this ever get better or what am I going to do about this? Just like, just figure out something that I'm going to do in the next day or two or three or four a week. And just like that gets me through it. Yeah. Um, from the outside looking in, what I see is uh, you do something like you do set a goal, you do something, maybe it's public speaking and you receive all this benefit from doing it. You know, people's response to it is so positive. They say, they tell you about some meaningful thing that happened in their life because of your talk. And then that feels like motivation to do the next thing. And the next thing becomes, has benefit with in and of itself. So I feel like, Earlier, you said that you have to be happy yourself before you make anybody else happy. And I think that is true. But through kind of good works, it seems to stimulate a lot of positivity as well. Oh, it helps. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when 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 people are saying thank you and they appreciate it and you get good responses from telling your story, yeah, it uplifts you. It gives you that boost. It gives you that motivation. It gives you that confidence to keep doing it. Um yeah, I mean, look, dude, like, life is hard. Being paralyzed is hard, you know? Like, I mean, yeah, I got a lot going for me. I got a lot going on. I got great, beautiful kids. I I still get to surf. I love fishing. I love playing poker. I love traveling. I love meeting new people. But at the end of the day, like, when I put my head down, like, I need help. Like, I need a caregiver 24-7. I need... I can't get out of bed by myself. I can't get dressed. I can't use the restroom. I can't, I mean, I'm only as good as the people I surround myself with. And I got to depend on people. Like if somebody just left me there, like I would stay there. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. Like it's not, it's a fucking, it's not a joke. Like I may look, may look like it's easy, like, and, and like go on with my day and be this happy guy. But sometimes like, I'm just like, why me? Like, this is tough. This is not right. Like, how could they take away the ability to walk, to be able to feel, to be independent? Like, I can understand one thing, but not everything, you know, but like, no matter what you do, it's just like, you can't get it back. Yeah. One mistake just 
changed my life, my family's lives, my friends' lives. And it's just like, and now my kids, like, you know, they're growing up and like, I want to do more stuff with them. Like they understand my kids know like that I'm in a wheelchair and they like, one of my kids like loves pushing me. He loves taking my brakes off. He'll, he'll be like, I'm your helper. And it's like, it's amazing, you know, like, but it's not really the life like that I saw for my kids. Like I wanted to be the guy that was on the back of the surfboard. I want to be the guy throwing the baseball or teaching them soccer stuff. Like, yes, I could verbally for sure. But physically, like, dude, I want to be so much more there. Like, I'm there physically, but I'm not. Mm. You know, like, I love seeing my friends take my kids surfing, but it's like, I want to do that. Yeah. Are they into surfing? Oh, yeah. Like, both of them were. And then now one of them is just really a lot more. And he'll stay out probably all day if you let him, like. Or if somebody was going to catch waves with him, he'll, he'll do it all day. Like he loves it. Hmm. It's really cool. And he, I think the hardest thing in surfing is to learn timing, to be like, to figure out when the wave's coming, you know, when to turn around. And they're really good at the timing. Like, like they know exactly when to paddle, when to turn around. Like, and it's like, I can't teach them that from the beach. Like they're yeah. doing it themselves. And I think it's amazing. Interesting. Um. Do you feel any weight from the responsibility of this role that you now play where you're a public speaker and you're kind of the spokesperson for adaptive surfing? Yeah, there's a huge weight to make sure that it's done properly and fairly. You know, I've, I've spoken up about many things that I thought in the, in the adaptive surfing world and competition stuff that weren't fair. And uh, they, some things got changed, you know, over a couple of years, they got changed, which was wonderful because I feel like I'm the voice for a lot of them because a lot of them don't speak up and, and they're coming from different countries and spending a lot of money to travel. And I'm just like, I want them to have an honest, fair share of winning a championship. And if, if, uh, if it's not fair, they're never going to win. I know it feels, I, I really am not convinced that there is uh, an objective way to really make surfing fair competitively whether it's adaptive or non you know even with the ct it's just it's so subjective that putting rules and regulations on it almost is contrary to the act of surfing itself yeah yeah it's it's tough man you know like the beauty of free surfing is just so magical and beautiful and yeah. then you know people have the People have a lot of the competitive drive, though. You know, they want to beat somebody. They want to do contests and stuff. Of course, yeah. But, but like, um, yeah, it's tough. Like, you, you want you want them to be in great conditions. You want them to be in fair waves. And majority of the time, you know, the waves are pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, in regards to feeling responsibility or the weight of the responsibility, do you feel, feel any of it um, – like people coming up and wanting to share with you because you've shared so openly about stuff. I feel like that puts you in a position too, where you're going to carry a lot of burdens for a lot of people, you know, or you you have to respond to them in their moment yeah. of vulnerability. At times, at times it's totally good. Totally fine. Like, um, I want to be there for them, you know? Yeah. And, that, and there's times that it becomes a little overwhelming or a little too much where it's like, oh, wow, like that's, 
it's a big responsibility that you're trying to put on me or whatever. But I try my best to be there. If somebody has the, the trust in me to tell me that stuff, then I have, should have the respect to be able to listen, you know? I really, like, I got time. And I, and I just want people to, to feel accepted and happy and, and advice. Like, if I have advice, my gosh, like, I've been an injured for 27 years or, like, been surfing for 33 years. If I could help somebody, you know, like, another person with a disability, I look at their disability and I'm like, oh, hey, you would be better off if you were sitting instead of laying down or, or if you had this. And, it, and it, I did it at my event recently. And one kid, one guy was like, oh my God, like now I could see everybody instead of my face, face down in the board or the waves, can't see anything. Now I'm sitting up looking at it. And it's like, that experience was so much better. And me just talking to the team around him we did that and it changed everything for him. And, and like, I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to go over there and, and help him. Yeah. You know, I could have been like, I'm helping him by just providing this event, but I try my best to like look at different disabilities and people and try to give them my advice. And whether that's like surfboard advice, fin advice, laying down advice. I don't know, man. I just, I had people help me. So I love helping people. Do you have any, um, surf spots around the world that you would still love to go to that you haven't been yet that i have not been i mean i've traveled a lot i've surfed a lot of places um now knowing the fact of like i'm not trying to find barrels i'm not trying to find big waves to challenge myself i'm just looking for long long waves that have uh, a lot of speed and i don't know i mean i haven't really thought about it like malibu's so perfect uh I used to have a connection to go to the Hollister ranch and surf big drakes. And like, that was my favorite wave in the world and the favorite place in the world, just because of the nature of like the nobody around, you could drive on the beach and it was just beautiful, but things have changed and um, yeah, things are changing, but I don't know anywhere. There's a long point break or something like with not a lot of current. I, I mean, I love down in Selena Cruz, like the sand point breaks that was, were super fun. Um, you I, really Jay Bay? I have not served Jay Bay. Um, seems like the rocks on the inside would be pretty impossible for me to get in and out. Um, and I'm probably a sitting little guy for a shark, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, to get in and out there looks impossible. Um, yeah, totally. and I'm not really frothing on surfing as much as I used to when I was younger. Like if I, like when I just surfed the surf ranch two days in a row, like last week, I honestly don't need to surf for like three or four months. And I'm like, cool. Cause really? I don't have to, I don't have to hear. I, I caught so many beautiful waves and speed that nobody was yelling. Nobody was like screaming. There was no bad energy. All that stuff kills me. Like I go to Malibu or wherever it is. And if I hear people yelling and screaming and whistling at people and hooting and dropping in, and it's like, it's not fun. Like, and I'm yeah. and I don't, like, just to be there takes sucks out my energy. And I'm like, Oh, kind of made a bad choice today by coming here. Dude. So like three, so four months, like I'm okay because I love fishing. I love fishing. I love the peace and quietness of fishing. And I love playing poker because it's something I can do independently. I don't need anybody's help. I could be as competitive as the m fittest man in the world playing poker. I could, 
I don't need to walk. I don't need to feel. I, it's like mine. It's my mind, and it's just everything. Like, and that, and that's something I love. Anything I can do, like by myself, even fishing, like I need help. So sometimes I can't go out because I don't have somebody to go with me, and it's frustrating. Yeah. So I know that I could play poker, and I don't need anyone's help. Um, you and I are a similar age, and I hate to say it, but I think that experience that you're having with surfing, because I feel it too, I think it's reflective of our age. We're getting grumpy. Like, unless the waves are pumping, like, unless all the conditions are exactly right, it's hard to get motivated to go out. You know, it's like, if it's windy, if it's cold, if the tide's wrong, I need the waves to be good is kind of what it comes down to at this point. Yeah, I'm a fair weathered surfer. I'm a fair weather fisherman. Yeah, the waves got to be really good, you know, and then it's then it's a hit and miss on the crowd. Sometimes even it's crowded. Sometimes you have they have good energy. Sometimes it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Malibu, I mean, that's tough. Yeah, Malibu's tough. never not crowded. Yeah. I mean, but everybody knows me. So when there's a good crowd, it's okay. But if it's an angry crowd, even though that they know me, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, what are your ambitions for life rolls on for the next for the next five years, let's say? We're building up our skate program. We got a they will skate again program we take people disability skateboarding so we just expanded to new york we got an event in california and venice beach we got one in atlanta and then we added one in new york their skate programs are a little easier to uh to put on they're not as like big or as extravagant of um all this setup yeah um, as, as a surfing event is so expanding that we also just expanded our they will surfing an event to uh to uh rhode island we just had our first event in rhode island and, and there's other cities that want us to go but the surfing one is a little harder you got to have people in the city in that particular place that want to help to run it like and fully like have and store all the equipment and it's like it's like a it's an undertaking that they have to be and wanting to do or else i wouldn't do it i don't just go to one city and then pull it out the next year it's like hey we're going to do this for years and years and years so you really need to be determined for that um, but I'm excited that 2023, we're going to be adding a new program called they will fish again. We're going to take people with disabilities on sport boats and go fishing and, uh, let them catch some fish and pull up on, I mean, when you get a nibble on a bite, it's like so exciting when you get to pull on it, it's just super fun. And so, you know, I think the challenges there will just be, uh, n- them not knowing that they might get seasick. So there might be <laughs> a, a, a little seasickness going on, but hopefully um, hopefully not, but fishing is so much fun. And so we're going to add, they will fish again and take, do different trips, uh, fishing. Do you, do your kids get to travel with you? They have here and there. They've been to Hawaii. They've, um, yeah, they're still young, you know, but yeah, they come with me to a couple of events on the West coast. Final question for everybody interviewed. You kind of already answered it, but, um, is what is the last surfboard that you rode? Oh, just uh, it's, it's like a seven six twin fin, yeah, from Bob Burley. You said the construction was graphite and something else, carbon. Yeah, carbon it's fiber? like yeah, it's like all black carbon fiberboard. Um, I don't know. It looks cool and it rides fun, you know. So he shapes it out of foam and then just laminates it with the carbon fiber. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I don't surf. 
like I don't surf enough for me to like practice and tell you like that it's good in these conditions or this fin set up. Like when I was at the surf ranch, Kelly Slater was there and he looked at my fins and we switched them out and and uh, you know we just were testing new stuff. But it's kind of hard for me to test because when I surf, I surf. I'm not surfing to test because I don't surf enough to test. So yeah, it's like kind of like I go to my go-to like in December or not December, but in February, because now they ch changed the pipe masters to February. I went there and I was surfing VLAN like three days in a row. Like, oh my God, perfection. Like that wave is like the closest to the surf ranch for me as possible. It's like breaks in the same spot every time. Oh, I loved it. Like that's one of my new favorite waves. Like I used to surf when I was a kid, but now like VLAN for me, even though it's like, you know, hey, it's steep, it's punchy, it's barely like, but the speed of it, like I'm just getting in front of it because it's so much speed. It reminds me of the surf ranch and, and I love it. Yeah. Um, so did Slater's fin swap, was it noticeable at all? Yeah, it was a little looser um, instead of like a little bit more, less little drivey. He made it so that it was a little bit more maneuverable. And, and some of the videos, like I could see like, hmm, doing some really good bottom turns and off the lip, like for me, my off the lip, it's not the same as an off the lip for somebody else, but you can notice, like if I showed yeah. you a video and the maneuvers I was doing, like I'm kind of proud of myself. Sweet. So that guy kind of knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he does, man. The guys are. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you again for doing this, Jesse. I'm glad it really came together. Yeah, man, no worries. Yeah, just, I mean, if anybody ever wants to get involved or volunteer or donate or, um, you know, be a part of Life Rolls On, then go to liferollson.org and anyone, if, if they hear this and they want to hire me to speak, doing motivational speaking, they can reach out to me as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the hookup with Bob Hurley and you guys. Yeah. So we're all yeah. good. liferollson.org and jessebillauer.com are the websites. I'll link to them and to Jesse's social media on surfsplendorpodcast.com along with footage of Jesse surfing and everything else that we discussed in today's show. Thank you, Jesse. Also, importantly, we are giving away a Spider Surfboards Fireball Fish this month. Well, actually on December 1st. So I'm gonna have a conversation with Dennis Jarvis to break down that board design. And if you've seen these, they are incredible looking surfboards. They take hours to shape the channels and the step into the bottom. There's a step in the middle of the channels. And Dennis will build a custom one for you just for supporting our work. So supporters are automatically entered to win this on December 1st. But if you want to get in on this and you're not currently a supporter, it is just $5 a month. It is the foundation of our business. You can set up support on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And anyone who supports our work in the month of November will be entered to win. So it is not too late. You have till the end of the month to get in on this. 
One person will be randomly selected on December 1st, and it is our way to say thank you for the support and also to highlight some of our favorite board builders. So much more discussion about this board will come throughout the month, but go to surfsplendorpodcast.com right now and uh, get in on this. Also, our friends over at the Florida Surf Film Festival, they have a podcast called Surf Stories, which is now available on surfsplendorpodcast.com or whatever app you are listening to this episode in. They have episodes with everyone from Taylor Steele to Ben Gravy to Chris Burkhardt to Lisa Anderson. It's a great show. If you like Surf Splendor, definitely check them out. You'll have 30 episodes to binge there. Just search Surf Stories. You will love it. Okay, thanks for listening. I'll be back next week here on Surf Splendor with an all-new episode. But until then, this is David Scales reminding you to heed Jesse Billauer's advice. Enjoy the simple gifts of daily life. Get back into the ocean anytime that you can. Always share some waves and continue to shred on. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.